What's going on, everybody? Yes, we are back. And fuck, has it been a long eight and a half months since the last podcast. It's hard to believe I allowed it to go this far. Initially, it was going to take a couple of months to kind of take a breather. We went hard for two plus years. And life throws you all kinds of things. I had some business opportunities that popped up. Had a second child. We get into it in this episode, but it doesn't matter. I'm happy to be back and you can rest assured we're going to get back on this grind. We're going to do the next hundred episodes and then see kind of where it goes. But this is something that I couldn't not continue to do. Uh, A, because of all of you who listen to this, I continue to get messages, both of like concern and encouragement. I can assure all of you I'm good. Life has been great. I couldn't be happier. This has been a much needed rest uh, in hindsight. And, uh, I think the perspective that I gained during this time will shift and shape this show as it continues to go forward, both in how I approach things, my thoughts, ideas, uh, and the people that I want to continue to have on. So uh, that said, I couldn't think of a better way to get this thing rolling again than with the person that's been on the podcast more than anybody. I think this is his sixth, maybe seventh appearance on the show. And it's fitting because the last time that I talked to him, which was, I believe, in like October of 21, at least on the podcast, we talk outside of it all the time. But um, in October of 21, he told me, hey, he had gotten a green light on a book that he was planning to write specific to the story of Eddie Bravo. And I didn't know what it was going to be at the time, but flash forward and that book is now released and it's called Mastering the Metal, the story of James Watson and Eddie Bravo. And it's awesome. As somebody who's into music and jujitsu, it's like the perfect combination. Throw conspiracies in there and it's like, how can I not read this book? So um, super, super excited to share this episode with you. We talk about kind of what's occurred over the last, call it year, um, since I've been on the show and really a lot of what's fed into how he approached writing this book. Um, it's an awesome read. The podcast is great. I'm going to just let you get into it. We talk a lot about why I was out and just all kinds of different things, but it's a pleasure to be back. I hope you stick with it. I hope you share this with as many people as you can. Follow me on social media and enjoy the episode with my friend, Zach Moore. Shit, dude, you'd think that, what is this, the sixth or seventh time you've been on this show that we'd have a, a plan of how to get us rolling in time, but we we play this same song and dance, which is kind of like, in a way, I ha I, I like look forward to it. Dude, I uh, I um, I got to get uh, new headphones now that I'm going on a podcasting kind of thing now. I definitely have to get some like legit headphones, which is part of part of the good thing about jumping on with you is that we've done this a bunch of times. I know you, it's a comfortable area to get back into podcast. I haven't done, really done a podcast in a couple of years. Um, been working on the book and, and uh, yeah, just jumping back in and realizing something like, Oh, I need to get, I need to get headphones. Yeah. It's the same for, same for me. I mean, different reasons. The last episode that I shot was in July. This July, this, this past July just things popping off with work in a good way, right? Kind of changed some things around in my professional world. Um, it's funny. I think a lot of people 
that don't know me personally, I maybe, and maybe I'm wrong with this, but I got a few messages where like, I, I don't know if people were concerned or just people get curious, but they, I think they thought that I make my income like solely from the podcast, which is kind of right. fun. Um, certainly not the case whatsoever. Um, so like I'm busy doing other things. I'm a dad, I'm a husband. Um, and shit, dude, I went hard for two years on this thing. Um, got to like well, 100, 104 week. episodes. Yeah. Once a week. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. People really have an idea of how hard it is to be consistent with the podcast either. Is that yeah. it, it's not, it's not like an easy task. Like it's like something that, um, people bring up frequently like about like, Oh, why aren't you doing like, cause I had a podcast too that I was having people from the gym on and stuff. And yeah. it was just kind of getting reps in at podcasting, having a small audience for, uh, at that point for me. Um, and there's a benefit to it, but also it's, it's definitely like not an easy task being, being like every Tuesday we're going to show up and we're going to do this and I'm going to find the time with everything else I have going on to edit it in your case, because you are a prolific editor with it. Yeah, no, it's, and I, there's even more like that's, that all adds to it. Like the editing to go yeah. back through and, and listen yeah. to everything all over again, to, like to make sure, cause I mean, I have a nice setup, but audio gets messed up every, you know, sometimes when I'm talking with somebody, I mean, dude, I, re I remember I did one, um, with what was his name? Shit. Now I'm blanking. Um, Mike Williams. Uh, I think he was an ex NFL football player, but like he was visiting his cousin in South central Los Angeles. And he's like sitting in a chair on the side of the road in a wife beater and there's cars and people like they're coming up and dapping him and he's hitting blunts and stuff. And I'm just like it, but now looking back at the time I was really stressed out because I was starting this podcast. He was, a, he was an ex NFL athlete. So I was like working my way up as far as like people that I could get on the show <laughs> And I was yeah. like, this is, this sucks. And I was so pissed, but now it's like such a part of the character of this whole thing. And honestly, Zach, like the six months away, it started, yeah. it started for me. Um, and I guess I'll share this before we dive into everything, because this, this is the first podcast back. I, I recorded another one with my brother, um, last week. I'm going to release it after this, um, okay. not for any particular reason, but like these are the, these are the first time I've really sat down and it really was only going to be a month or so. I had this business opportunity come up, really wanted to put my focus there. And honestly, after like 104 episodes, I was just burnt, like really burnt, yeah. had a second child. And, uh, I was like, you know, I'll take a month or two. And then once you lose that momentum, it's like anything, it's like going to the gym. It's like a diet. It's like jujitsu. You know, you, it's real easy to be like, yeah, I'll start it up next week. And then next yeah. week turns into next month. And then the next thing I know, Christmas is coming. And I found myself really spiteful and kind of almost mad at other people and even good circumstances because they were keeping me from something that I really liked. And it, it really made me think, hmm, like you really enjoy and you get something from this. And I always knew that I did. But I think it's more for me now evident than ever my purpose and why I want to do this. You know, like if nobody ever listens to these things, like I am so fine continuing to do this as consistently as I can for the foreseeable future because A, I've learned so much from so yeah. many different types of people. I've gained such a great perspective. 
And I'm also leaving, like, I went back and listened to a lot of stuff because I was like, you know, maybe I won't do it. Like, I, there was a couple of times where I was like, maybe I won't do this anymore. And I went back and listened and I, I listened to myself early on in some of the conversations and some of the things that I thought and the way that I talked. And I was like, wow, there was so much growth, both in thought as well as communication through 104 discussions with interesting people. That's such a valuable thing, especially in today's society. And, you know, I don't know how I'm going to evolve it. If I'm going to try to do more in-person things where and when I can, um, I'm going to definitely stick to interviewing and having conversations with people that I really care about. I think some of the worst podcasts that I did were the ones that I thought were going to be like the biggest attraction because of who they were. And it was like flat pop, you know, it was just like, there's nothing there. And some of the best ones were some of the most obscure, interesting people that I like randomly found online and would reach out to. And the conversations were so awesome. And I'm like, you know, I, I referenced them to other people. I've, I've been faced with challenges where I've thought back to these discussions where somebody else has had a similar experience. And I'm like, Oh, you know what? I can draw from that. And then just, you know, being able to also channel my love for mixed martial arts and jujitsu and get all these interesting people that I've, you know, had the opportunity to meet there on here to talk to them and, you know, build relationships. It's, you know, it's awesome. And then friendships, right? It's like, I've made so many great friends all over the world to do this. So I'm so thankful. And to your point, like, take such a time off and then come on and be able to do it with somebody where there's just a natural flow of, of talking. It's uh it's a lot of fun. So, and, and I was excited because we've both been doing yeah. a lot of things, you know, you with the book, the last time we talked, dude, you dropped on me like, Hey, FYI, this is going to happen. And we yeah. had talked on and off about it for so long that like now it's all, it's come full circle. It's like the perfect way to come back. And yeah, discuss because that last episode was October of 2021. It was like uh, 15 or 16 months ago. Yeah. And, and uh, over that time, we, at that time, we were negotiating the contract and we buttoned it up tight to make sure that we just like there was no way because obviously a lot's changed in 15 or 16 months. Yeah. Like we're on the other side of all of this COVID stuff. Uh, the public perception of it is really shifting. Um, it's really shifted in a major way. All the vaccine stuff obviously is like the most tragic thing of all. Um, but also like a big eye opener for a lot of people, um, to have that kind of happen, to have these institutions you trust trusted and you just thought you were like a good citizen and you were trusting these institutions, but they got hit with the same thing that I got hit with through the opiate epidemic, which is like, you can't like, you don't, you shouldn't just trust things because like you're told to trust them, right? Like even like with the opiate epidemic or with the vaccine, like you're going to your doctor, like what's more trustworthy than your doctor, right? And that's kind of an interesting thing of the last 20, 25 years is that there's that part of it, right? And so everything's kind of shifted. A lot of people are waking up. And so 15, 16 months ago, point being was that like, we were at a place where cancel culture was still like, the 2020, like, as, as you know, but as some of the viewers might know, most won't know, uh, I lost a book contract basically for being against riots, essentially. Like, right, like, that's where we were in 2020, which was like, if you were like, hey, this is, this is ridiculous. Uh, there's no objectively good outcome of what's going on, right? Like, objectively, there was no good outcome 
of yeah. that whole summer of 2020. How much just, of, how much of that whole experience played? Obviously, I'm sure it played into this. Like when you're looking for a publisher, and and a publisher that you know will support you, knowing your personality, you weren't going into this being like, hey, I'm gonna like, I'll change to conform so that I can have a deal again. So like, how did you find somebody that you knew was going to support you, your views and how you just kind of, you know, flow through life? We had three months, right? Like we talked in October and I had mentioned it to you at that time. And I was like confident this were these were the people we were going to go with. And so I was comfortable enough to have said it on the podcast too, at that point too. Yeah. But I didn't, we didn't sign the contract until January 9th uh, of, of 2022. Uh, uh, Right. So um, and then a month later, before that month ended, I had gotten like the first half of my book advance, which then was allowing me the, the, the ability to go out to L.A. And that's how I ended up writing the book. Right. I, I actually wrote the book uh, half through my perspective and half through Eddie's best friend, James. For those of you who don't know, the, uh, I actually haven't mentioned this yet. Uh, the book is Mastering the Metal, the story of James Watson and Eddie Bravo. James is Eddie's best friend from the time they were that Eddie was 16 until Eddie was 28. They made music together, first metal music, then rap, like kind of like their own kind of rap thing. And then James, they kind of separated. Um, James ended up getting cancer. Uh, I tell the whole story in the book and kind of lead into that. But I, I'm writing like half of the book is in my present day voice, talking about who Eddie is now. And then half is going back. And using like when I see James or when I see Eddie to then transport back in time, being like, I drove up and I picked James up. And as I'm picking James up, I close the door. I go around the back of the car, go up to the front steps, and then we go back in time and James is talking. Right. So it's kind of there's a lot of books I've read over the years where like there's multiple stories going on. There's a I think uh, I don't think it's dope sick. I think it's the other book on the opiate epidemic that I've read. Um that like kind of has like five different stories, like a West Virginia story and Ohio story and like a few different things. So it really keeps the reader engaged. I really remember that where it's like, all right, we're back with this situation. And then it's telling you all these different facets of, of the opiate epidemic. So with Eddie, it's like, there's so many different facets, him, jujitsu, music, conspiracy. Right. Yeah. And so at that time, what, you know, I, I to do a book with Eddie, right. As you can imagine, if I'm like that, to do a book with Eddie where you got him trusting a publisher to not screw him over because we're like, we're like about a year removed from like really like 2020 was wild. Like when you look back at it and you look at how, like, like the things that were said publicly, like what was allowed and what wasn't allowed, like at the gym, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, I work at 10th planet Austin. I train there. At the gym, like, I'll, we'll just say shit to each other that's, like, crazy. We'll say, like, like you just say, like, just say to one of your friends, like, Black Lives Matter. It's a crazy thing to just say out loud to somebody, right? They then say to someone else, like, hey, like, all lives matter. Or like, whatever. Like, there's, like, a we have this ongoing rapport with the people there where, like, we'll say some shit that, like, you're supposed to say. And it just sounds so crazy when it comes out of your mouth, right? Like, Kamoy. Kamoy is one of my best friends at the gym. And uh, every once in a while, I'll hit him with a Black Lives Matter, and he just cracks up because it's like it's such a silly thing to say outside out loud to somebody, unprovoked. And um, but like you recall back, like you weren't allowed to say all lives matter. You weren't allowed to say like like there was a bunch of you weren't allowed to be against lockdowns. You weren't so at that moment in time was like 
you're worried about the idea that somebody could just cancel your contract. So that's why I took three months. But we had a publisher that like has published Adam Carolla and Dan Bongino. And uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if Dan Bongino is like a part owner in the company or what, but um, he's very involved in Post Hill Press. And, um, you know, they're a subsidiary of Simon & Schuster. So they're a part of like the big three or four. But um, everyone owns, uh, you know, the, there's three or four that own everything. And, and you know, we've gotten nothing, nothing but support because I also do think that uh, whether people can say it or not, there's a lot of people in like the corporate world that I have a feeling just can't say the things that I say or that you say or that we all know to be true. But like what they can do is they can give it a voice, you know, and be like, what? It's a good book. It's going to sell a lot of copies. Like it's Eddie Bravo. He's He's got this outlet and that outlet and these ways to sell it. Like it's refreshing in a way. Yeah. Right? culture shifted in a major way it's like there was there was a lot of tension for a little bit of like people worried about what other people thought about them and then now it's kind of like the whole game's been kind of upended over these last couple years and and I just I don't think that that energy like it works anymore it's just not the energy of like of, of like the offended energy just doesn't have the power it once had and I, I think a lot of people are uh in support of just moving forward in a better way. Right. Like none of that stuff's fun. None of that stuff's like, no one's having a good time with any of that stuff. And th consider that just how I, I think about it. Cause I got a kind of a therapeutic experience in writing this book, right? Because I have to tone down my language and I have to think deep and hard about like what I want to be in a book that's long-term, like that a book's sure. forever. One of the things about co like the, all the stuff that happened online these last few years is that like, you got to make it harder on the book burner, right? <laughs> the book burner in this era doesn't even need to buy your book, like to burn it. They just need to complain, right? Like with a book, good luck. If there's a hundred thousand, a million, hopefully one day there's a million of these books out there, 2 million, 3 million, whatever, right? You have to go out and buy it to burn it, right? Like I, I have a contract essentially that means they can't get rid of us for any reason. Like, that's why it took three months to do that. But, you know, it's that's what you got to do. And and that's how you have to know you have a good partner is that we're both entering into this in good faith. And, um, you know, I think everyone is just like nothing good came out of that experience in terms of like it's the result of it. The actual result of it in a lot of people is that um, the actual end result is actually going to be a good one. It's that well, I mean, this is how Trump got elected was behave like people acting in an irrational way where I think sane minded individuals where I and I do believe the world is made up or at least America is made up with a lot more intelligence than I think some would say there is like there's we've oh. come to this point where we're like people people are just tone. They don't understand what's going on. And I think there is a lot of that, but a lot the of it is. Like they, they're, they're, people are p posturing and deep down inside, you can only posture for so long. The point of the point of the mainstream outlets and the corporate outlets. And one of the, like, like I said, there's a therapeutic aspect to this book where I got to like explain the whole COVID and conspiracy thing, because with Eddie, you've got to talk conspiracy too. Right. So yeah. I, I tried to put all of his stuff in a book where it's like, Here's the main conspiracy he's been talking about for years. It all goes back to CIA. It all goes back to uh, NASA. 
it all goes back to JFK and then just carry it on through. And so in that, I got to write a lot about one of my favorite topics to think about is like corporate journalists and like the intellectual prostitution that exists there. Right. Like it's, but the object, the, the, their job. And I think that this is one of the good things that comes out of COVID is that like their job has been to convince us that a smaller group of people is a bigger group than it is. Right. Like after, when you, when, when people are telling you that they're not getting a booster shot or they, they just stopped wearing their mask or they just they're like, it's difficult for people to admit to you, like, Hey, you were right or whatever. Like you're, you shouldn't be seeking out like that answer. Right. Like someone to be like, Hey, I was, I was fucking wrong. You know, you were right. Um, you know, this is where kind of the healing comes in with all of it too, is that I, it, throughout the book too, I don't put blame on any of the people who engage in it. The blame is up here. The blame is the higher level, the people that are at the at Davos and all that kind of stuff. You made a comment because you said like people were going to their doctors, right? Like, and that's, yeah. I've, I've thought about that a lot, right? I've been really critical. I thought, and this was one of the things like looking back on some of the podcasts, I was yeah. definitely really critical on people. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of unfair because not everybody, definitely not everybody has the access and ability to have, yeah, they don't have the time, right? They don't have the access, the ability to have conversations. And when, you know, your, your aunt Sally goes to the doctor and the doctor's telling her, you need to go and do this because this is dangerous. And yeah, sure. Right. And then I turn on the news and the news is telling me all these people are dying. I like, I think it's unfair to criticize the majority of those people who are just really like, you know, I, I think I I listened to one where I was like calling people sheeple. And <laughs> it's like, it's kind of, I mean, listen, it's funny in the context I, we where were, I was listening to. In it, our defense, but. like we were, we were, we were angry because we had to go out and we had to deal with, cause it wasn't the government that was enforcing it. It was like the people around you sometimes, right? Like yes. it's like the person at work who complains to somebody else that you wear your mask below your nose. Right. Like it's like that kind of situation where it's the person at the at the grocery store who says something to you. It's the person at the coffee shop who can't just give you a coffee. He's got to tell you, put a mask on yeah. you and him. know it's bullshit. And, and so there's a lot of anger there because it's like we're trying to fight through it, too, where it's like you're in a you're like you're in a fight or flight mode. Right. When you're dealing with like an argument or whatever. And like I am more of a fight. I'm going to get mad i'm gonna get upset about it i i'm gonna you know make a ruckus about it because it's it's to me it it's obviously unnecessary but in their defense like i I put this in the book too it's like how could you like if you had all this other stuff going on how could you have kept up with all of it because even us like we're very on top of it but someone will bring something up like hey do you remember this and it's like oh i forgot about that like and it's the goalposts were moving they were always like, you know, at first mass work didn't work. Vaccines are going to stop it. And then, then it's like, then they move on to like, uh, everyone needs to have it. Well, if it works, why does everyone need to have it? If it, you know, it's like, it's not an easy thing to follow. And in their defense, you know, in our defense, it was uh, a very stressful time. And to see people fall in line seemingly so easy. I mean, in when I was in LA in 2020, uh, 2022, it was crazy. There was like 90% mask compliance outside. Dude, it was My brother, who I just recorded, he um, he moved from LA back to Pittsburgh momentarily. He's 
doing some business here in the area and then he's going to go back, but he brought his whole family here. And yeah. like we were talking just about how crazy it is. And he's, he's in orange County. So he's actually South of LA, right? Yeah. Pretty conservative, but there's just still, he's like, you would never realize that anything has changed. You drive around there. Everybody's just still over the top concerned, but then you think about the population that's there and it's, it's, like I remember when I was spending a lot of time in LA, the one thing I hated about it was everybody was so, so fake and friendly to you when you first met them because everybody was afraid that you could potentially help their career and yeah. they didn't want to offend you. And then like once they realized that you couldn't help them, then they became a complete pretentious asshole. Yeah. But it was like rinse and repeat. Everybody was like so, so friendly. And then you could like, they try to figure out what you did, how you could maybe, you know, boost their career and then, Poof. Uh, but isn't that, that the perfect descriptor though of why a lot of people there are wearing masks, right? Is that yeah. like it's it's the it's the polite thing to do. It's the nice thing to do. And so a lot of people there and that that also gives you a perspective too, is that you know, you see a bunch of people doing it, you had one person yell at you, whatever, and then you just move on and you're doing it. Like you're going along with it too. Yeah. I mean, there's real effect on the opposite side. I mean, I have two little boys, right? So my youngest we were talking with their teacher, like parent teacher conference. He goes to like a learning daycare, like a very STEM oriented thing. And yeah. um, I've been so, so happy and thankful that they go there because my oldest has, I think, developed a lot of really great skills that a lot of other three and a half, four year old kids don't have. Um, and so like, it's been awesome. But in talking with the teachers, they were like, your youngest son as well as all the other kids that are in that age group, they are developing their speaking a lot later. And we noticed it. Like we've talked about it at home. Um, and it's not anything that I'm overly concerned about, but it's a markable difference between the two little kids. And it's, I guess, apparent for all of these kids. And it's all because in these daycares, the teachers were required to wear masks all day long. And you're dealing with little kids who are there for eight hours a day part of the way they learn how to speak is by watching other people talk. Yeah. And that's a real thing, right? Like that is a real effect. And I am the mindset of like, I don't know what that translates to in the long term, but it's, it's ignorant for us to not ask that question and at least have people try to seek out the answer the same way. It shouldn't be ignorant to ask, why does it seem like there's a lot of people, you know, having strokes that are really young, I mean, I don't know, really. I don't, I'm a, I'm one person in Pittsburgh, right? Maybe, maybe because it's something that people talked about, maybe it's getting a lot of coverage. Maybe there's really no more, I, I, like, I don't know. I've seen data that suggests the opposite, right? Seen a lot it's, of data that suggests that people are having a lot of strokes and maybe it's from COVID and the vaccine. Who knows? Like, I don't, I don't know, but to not be able to ask it, kind of kind of messed up situation like it shouldn't be political it should truly be about like we're all humans and we should all like really care about things and it's like i guess the conspiracy thing really plays into this too right because shit man since you and i spoke the cia basically was outed for killing kennedy yeah right and like, that's the one conspiracy i like I would say is the one that opens everything else up, right? Like a, less than a year later, Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson 
brings us to war via the Gulf of Tonkin, which Jim Morrison from the Doors, Laurel Canyon musician, another area of like Laurel Canyon place we've talked about. Like it was Charlie all, Manson. It was all CIA like families, right? And all their kids just ended up in Laurel Canyon in the mid 1960s. The Doors got together in like July of 1965, and le- like a year and a half later, they're number one with Light My Fire. Jim Morrison apparently didn't even know how to read music, right? Like it's just, there was just this scene that was created um, in Laurel Canyon. And, um, you know, all right, anyway, so it goes Lyndon Johnson, Gulf of Tonkin. We go to war in Vietnam so we could partially, so we could sell heroin, right? (laughs) Then George H.W. Bush is in the White House with Reagan and he's running cocaine uh, in Arkansas. With Barry Seals. Yeah, with Barry Seal, right? And then, so we're doing that for however long. Then the 2000s come along, right? The opiate epidemic is starting and the Taliban takes over Afghanistan and the Taliban takes over Afghanistan and stops heroin production. So in 2000, heroin production, like there's like a chart I have there. The heroin production just like drops to zero, right? And then 2001, 9-11 is committed by, uh, allegedly by Saudi nationals, right? So we, of course... We, of course, go to war with Afghanistan, which isn't even where Osama bin Laden was hiding. He was hiding in Pakistan. So we went to war for all these years in Afghanistan. And you and I both know, I'm sure, I I think I can speak for you. If you know anyone in the military, you know someone who has a story of them or a friend guarding poppy fields in Afghanistan. Like, it's like, well, yeah, like the story was like, well, they were doing that because the Taliban would come and they would ruin their crop. And obviously we had to do it because of this. And it's just, and then now we have an open southern border so that fentanyl can get across and so that uh, cartels can make $30 million a day trafficking people across the border, right? Like, it's like, it's like, there's, there's this obvious through line of like government corruption being involved in like these black market operations. Um, And what was Kennedy doing? Kennedy was, um, you know, anti-war. Like he was an anti-military industrial complex. But after World War II, we had 3 million defense jobs, right? So now that's 3 million people who, if you just completely stop doing all of this military stuff, they now don't have jobs. Now as a politician, you look bad, right? And like, so it's like, it's we've created this military industrial complex that then combined with this dark force and in, intelligence industry is incented, is incentivized to continue to create war i mean mlk was also likely killed by the fbi like that that's a crazy thing that you know kind of comes across my my you know knowledge too or like uh, me reading about it the kinds of conversations that you can have might imagine happen at a 10th that's that's an interesting one right because james what was his name james earl ray whatever it was he didn't do it i don't think like or i think like the the story that i understood and maybe i'm wrong on this but like I believe his name's James Earl Ray. And for years, he was kind of like a loser. He he was broke. He didn't make a lot of money. And then like all of a sudden, he made some trips. And I believe he like went maybe to Russia, maybe somewhere in Europe. And then he had significant amounts of money. And he had, you know, some sort of reason why he would have wanted... I. I, I don't remember. It was Michael Baker, I think, was talking about it a little bit. Let me stop you there. Um, Tim Dillon was just talking about uh, those those Boston bombing kids 
like they had some weird connection to intelligence too, right? Like even the bot and like whatever happened in that court courtroom, like no one like that was one of those stories that like we we didn't even have like a public following of the trial. This guy bombed the Boston Marathon, one of the major events in the country, right? And then Reagan, the guy, I just learned this, of course, again, these are the kind of conversations you have at 10th Planet, right? Someone comes up to me and is like, hey, but have you heard about, we were having this kind of conversation and they're like, hey, but have you heard about that guy, who, uh, whatever the guy who tried to kill Reagan, right? Uh, I don't remember his name right now at the top of my head, but his, his family and the Bushes were close. So like this guy's connected to the Bushes. Like it's it's wild because and for those of you who don't who don't know H W Bush was the director of the CIA at one point, so then he's the director of the CIA for like a year. He made his way on up, was just there for a year, and then was moved into another position. But and then he's the vice president. Um, you know he's uh, his son eventually is president. You know and and like we've talked about this with Trump is that like. All of the Republicans and Democrats who ran for president in our lifetime hated him, which was like my signal to be like, oh, this guy might. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's maybe he's an asshole, but all of these people hate him. <laughs> so, like, I mean, how bad can he be? If though, if George Bush, Obama, Mitt Romney, uh, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, all of Jeffrey Epstein's friends, I mean, you know, as you and I know, Trump was the only guy who ever fucking uh, whoever. Uh, cooperated with any sort of uh epstein um court court case right in 09 the lawyer for virginia gufre or whoever uh, was talking about how trump was gave him all the time he needed you know if you need more come on back you know and so uh still no list still no list i said we still don't have a list still don't have the list i mean these are the kinds of things that disrupt uh, public trust, right? <laughs> but you I know, mean, Andrew Andrew Tate will get arrested for human trafficking, but we still don't know which wealthy, powerful politicians and businessmen and women were peddling children through Jeffrey Epstein. And people that say that's a that it's a conspiracy, it's like at a bare minimum, he committed suicide in prison because he was convicted of it. Now well, argue argue that right, but like Ghislaine Maxwell in prison because she's convicted of it. So like, how do you go to jail for selling children, but you don't put the people who bought them into jail? Like I I don't know what world we're fucking living in. Eddie Eddie had uh, the died suddenly guys on, and they're like documentarians, you know, uh, independent documentarians, mm-hmm. and they were telling Eddie how they ended up going to. There, for whatever reason, they got into um, either, I think they got into that apartment or they were like doing some research around there. And then they go to a, an apartment that's like basically behind it and it and the, the Catholic church owns it. And it lines right up, like it's like right behind Epstein's um, spot in New York. And there's like a door, uh, the back door opens up right over to Epstein's like, you know, spot. So it's just like the there's something sick that was obviously going on. And like you said, Andrew Tate's a great example. It was the biggest story in the world for like three days, right? Like it was the biggest story. And um, I mean, we still don't know about this stuff. Like, and he was apparently Mossad. Like he was Mossad or CIA. And so was Maxwell. And it's just, it, it goes on and on. Here's one for you. Um, not to, and I want to get back to the book. Cause I do have some questions that I want to ask you about yeah. that, but I love, you know, me and but conspiracy. 
but we're we're like we're just recapping where where we're at since where we since we last talked, right? Like it's yes. it's it was a matter of time, and at the time, yeah, we were like like you said, you said sheeple at one point, and I, I you know I was madder than I should have been about people going along with it, right? Like not being uh you know, not being forgiving enough to the fact that they hadn't lived my life, right? Like they don't they don't know why I believe the things I believe or they believe theirs, right? And that's not me saying that. That's James, Eddie's friend, James. You know, this is part of the thing about the book was like, you know, I can't be inflammatory and mad about people and then be writing about James. And James is like a nice Christian guy who's like, hey, and, you know, who lived through real racism in Arkansas and stuff like that. And um you know throughout his time like just kind of being treated differently right and um when you hear him be like you know i i give people the space to understand that they they might not know what i know or live my life right like um we were angry at the time and everything but um you know it was a lot of time for um, people to unravel and unpack but now we're on the other side of it and it, it was frustrating at the time but it just took it's like it's it's like anything like consistent chipping away right it's like good at getting good at jujitsu showing up every day, every day you something's coming across your feed that like some 50 year old that, you know, or that is within your network dies suddenly, you know, some 33 year old dies suddenly, like some, like, I mean, we have plenty of these, like now we have high school kids having uh, heart attacks, right? Like, it's like, it's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, we have the thing that happened in the Bills game and everyone's just like, Comotio Cordis, Comotio Cordis, Comotio. Are you sure? Are you sure that's what it was? Yeah. Like, and, and maybe it is, who knows, but maybe. like, we should, we, we should be saying like, Hey, we should figure this out. Right. Like, yeah. but you can't because it's political. It's, it's picked aside, right? The vaccine is on one side of the politic of the political spectrum. Eddie has uh, a funny thing. About it is that like they all got in line about the vaccine once it was coming out because the original plan was to have us locked up for 10 years it was to completely destroy everything and so this operation warp speed thing like when trump is bragging about the vaccine eddie's theory is he's like i got everyone out of lockdown like like without the vaccine like we we might still be in this so it's like you were free to take it free to not take it you were you're up to your own free will and your own research and your own whatever and it was up to you, but like, this was the only way we were going to get out of it. And, mm -hmm. and you know, the, uh, there's some credibility to that. Like, Oh, you didn't know that M all the rats and all the MRNA um, experiments, all the rats died. You didn't know that. Well, I mean, that that's kind of your fault, you know, no disrespect, but like there is a personal accountability there where it's like, this was like almost the only option, right? Like the only option is to come out with a flawed vaccine so that we could get open long enough before everyone figured out the vaccine didn't work. There was no going back, right? There's no going back to lockdowns. They didn't have the infrastructure in place for all the vaccine passports. Like they're in Davos talking about it right now, but they're never going to get the kind of support they would have gotten if you had people scared, more scared and inside for a longer period of time. Um, you know, so all the lizard people, um, they were all like, once the vaccine was out, like, yeah, like, let's do it. Like, we got to get everyone vaccinated. Like, let's just get it done. And they still like, they still accomplished a lot. Like, and there was a lot to be angry about, right? Like they were, imagine you or I dedicated our entire life to the military and we thought we were doing the right thing. And we didn't, we didn't know we were working for the CIA and harvesting heroin and things like that. Um, 
uh, all, all support to the veterans. I'm just messing around. Um, but um, think about all the good people there in healthcare. Like 4% of New York's nurses uh, were fired because of the vaccine mandate. I have a friend who his wife was a, an award-winning teacher in New York City, fired because she wasn't vaccinated. Like they got a lot accomplished because we know that their end goal is like cancel culture entering the real world, right? Like it's like, First, you could get canceled for the things you say online. Now you can get canceled for not wanting to take part in like a, basically a medical experiment, right? And so like all the people on, most of the people on their team are like, all right, let's do it. Like Joe Biden says so, like he, you know, he raised a great son in Hunter. He must have really good, like just a really good, uh, like head on his shoulders, must be a really good leader and things like that. And so, um, you know, I'm going to go along with that. You know, and so th it was an easy way to get rid of people like us, people who are a threat to the establishment within these organizations, people who would say no, who would give up uh, short term comfort for long term for a long term vision, which is your own health. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a hard choice. A lot of people had to make, but they did get a lot done with the vaccine. But the fact that we had a vaccine allowed us to take these steps forward that then they couldn't take us back to. What are your thoughts on Elon? in Twitter. Uh, I think Elon's angry about a variety of things. And I like that. I think he's angry about he I've seen tweets that he's angry about like what they've done to his kid who's transgender, right? Like he has a kid who's transgender. So he's like, he's talking about like the woke poison. I've seen him talk to have tweets about that. I've seen him have tweets about uh, the vaccine knocking him on his ass and making him feel like he was going to die for a few days, right? Uh, uh, a younger like nephew of his, um, got myocarditis, really healthy guy, young, young, healthy guy, got myocarditis and was in the hospital. So I think that they've pissed him off enough that, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, that he's riding that momentum. And, um, you know, I, I mean, Eddie will tell you, like he, he sent a car into space, you know, anyone who's doing anything with space, you got a question, you know, um, you know, because he's like, and then Elon's on Rogan's podcast. He's like, oh, you can tell it's real because it looks so fake. You know, and he's talking about his car flying through space. He's like, you can tell it's real because it looks so fake. Like, oh, my God. So, I mean, Eddie has these funny theories on him and stuff. And and I, I, I tend to listen to some of the we're in a there's this big group chat with like 100 people in it, always sending shit back and forth. Um, so I get some of those thoughts. But I mean, he he he, he, he doesn't feel like he's like a a plant right like he's he's exposing too much the twitter files like everything we said was going on was true like getting shadow banned um obviously a rigged election whether you think the mail-in ballots or whether whether you think it was like rigged in the traditional sense where like there were fake votes put in or whatever uh there definitely were but then there was also just like clearly collusion between the FBI, which was fighting with Trump for his entire presidency. They think about that for the entirety of Trump's presidency. There were a few different parts of our government that were actively working against him for the entirety of his presidency. That's a crazy thing to, to happen. That's just kind of like a nothing story in the mainstream media. Right. And so the FBI is telling these, you know, Zuckerberg broke it on Facebook, uh, on Rogan's podcast, basically. He's like, yeah, the FBI was telling us to look out for Russian disinformation. And then boom. Yeah, I was really, I was surprised that he said that. And it kind of 
turned out to be a really dumb, I don't want to say dumb thing to say, but with everything that came out with the Twitter files, it painted what he said in an even worse light. Also, I think he may have there these these remember, think of the kinds of like the kinds of rooms that they're in. Think of the kind of people that are doing this kind of stuff. Like Zuckerberg is in charge of a com- company that took part in the biggest lie that has ever that of our lifetime. You know, I, I think it's a bigger lie than uh, is it a bigger lie than 9-11? I don't know. And I, when I say bigger lie than 9-11, I'm not even getting into the various theories about around who did it or what did it because it was like I'm from New Jersey. So I was always like not able to look at it through clear eyes because it was a very big moment in my childhood. And I was watching all the mainstream propaganda. But like it was our excuse to start like two ridiculous wars that wasted trillions of dollars. And I grew up in a New Jersey, right around New York, at a time when the counties around New York City were the richest counties in the country. By the time I was 20 or 25, all those counties were around D.C. So it was like the month, like the amount of money that was generated from those wars all went to these people in D.C. and their friends, you know, everyone knows about the $200,000 hammers and the $100,000 toilets and stuff like that. Like, it's like a bunch of corrupt wars. So. Zuckerberg point being Zuckerberg took part in all this um and so like the backroom meetings the deals was he just trying to clear his name and get out in front of it in some way and being like yeah it wasn't our fault like the FBI told us and now the FBI is the bad guy right when the reality is is that you went along with it you knew what you were doing right like he painted it like he was yeah like we were we were nervous about disinformation in the election were you Mark you spent $400 million or whatever on, on election integrity stuff, right? He had that charity that um, he was doing the election integrity, all that kind of stuff, right? So we we know the outcome he wanted. He got the outcome he wanted. But, like, that's the other part of this rigged election was that every single institution that Americans thought they could trust had turned against them. And it turned towards this anointing who they wanted to be president because – their television had told them that Don, Donald Trump was Hitler. And you it, you repeat that enough and you get enough people, you get enough people that are n- nervous and scared enough to go along. And then the powerful, pe- powerful people also have their own reasoning for why they wanted certain outcomes, right? I mean, all of these people are kind of working on behalf of China as well because they want to enter that market. Yeah, and I, I, I'm sure you've listened to uh, his name. What is his name? Peter's uh, uh, begins. His last name begins with a Z. I was blown away. My brother told me to listen to it. Haven't I still listen to a lot of podcasts? Um, but I'm I don't get to listen to as many as I used to. Yeah. Um, so I I hadn't listened to this one. It was on Rogan, and this guy he's a I believe his background is in um, economics maybe, but on like economic development. And so he understands how different things uh, geopolitically and geographically, um, environmentally all interconnect and create different scenarios. And he flat out said, and he comes across as a really, really intelligent and thoughtful guy who isn't just some whack job, right? Um, And he says that China will not be around in like 10 or 15 years. That's a... a very bold statement but also they their population declined for the yes. first time right yes. like they have more people that are 60 than are 50 than are 40 than are 30 than are 20 
And it's all tied back. He said this was set into, into motion through Mao and that basically you, they, there is no changing it. And so um, their, the one- their strategy is really to create a nationalistic environment so that even when things get really bad, people love China so much that they don't rebel and they buy themselves more time. And yeah. there's nobody there to succeed Xi. And there also the other thing he pointed out was that from a food scarcity standpoint, 90% of the calories that consume are, that are consumed by people in China come have a root from something that comes from outside of China. So uh, meaning not that the food itself is coming from outside of China, but the fertilizer needed or the seed or any other element to get that crop to grow 90% of the calories come from trade and with everything that's happening, it's creating a huge stress on that. um, I guess, food supply for China. Um, And he's saying the same thing about Russia. It's It's actually, I I think you knowing the way the conversations that we have, it's one, if you haven't listened to it, I would highly, highly recommend it. He's really smart. He also said that electric vehicles are, going to go away because they're a horrible idea. Yeah. They're a horrible. Remember yeah. 2021, 2021 yeah. we had, we had no heat in our apartment. We had no water in our apartment. And if you didn't have a car with gas, what does that mean for you? Like you're like you, I mean, that's a concern, right? Like if the, if the grid gets fucked up, right? Like we're talking about gas stoves versus electric stoves. Like, all of this electric stuff is, and the other concerning thing is the other guy that Rogan had on talking about slave labor in Africa like and what the what, cobalt what, mining and all that. What really goes into a Tesla, right? All these people have Teslas, and they think that they're doing no disrespect to a Tesla owner, but like they think they're doing something. A lot of people are like driving their Tesla, like I'm a good citizen. I am doing the right thing for the earth. They've got all these this narrative they're telling themselves, and there's some like African kid who's doing this in sandals, no PPE. All these people, all these PPE fanatics the last few years don't care about the little kid in Africa uh, who's who's mining the cobalt, who is making a cent, you know, a dollar a day. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible business that, again, well, well-to-do, well-meaning people have been duped into being a part of, which, again, we can't blame them for. Because it's you know it also seems like a smart idea to get a car that has no gas. Just on its face, everything you're being told by the system around you is you need to stop with the gas because uh, we are a, a plague on this earth. Yeah, I mean his he, basically his sentiment is exactly the same as yours, and he's I don't want to misquote him. So certainly, like if you're interested in what I'm saying, go back and and listen to yeah. this. Um, but he's saying that the the carbon footprint is possibly even more to generate a, one of these vehicles. And that yeah. like it, it, it seemed it's a very short sighted view to think that it is, it's helpful. Now he's I, also a big proponent of wind and he, he believes that as wind turbines advance, they're actually the most economical way to supplement gas. Right. But he's like, it, the, the reality is you can't just, change things over like the amount of fuel that is consumed like i think we're we're something like 10 10 million barrels or 10,000 barrels a day in the u.s I, there's a big variance there i i get that but 
it's a, it's a lot of gas. Right. And so like to think that solar is going to change. And when you look at solar, even outside of electric vehicles, solars, um, like when you look at power and where the, the majority of power usage comes from, it's at nighttime and in cold temperatures, like, yeah. which is both when solar's not really useful. And when you're using lithium batteries that don't have a long charge, like you need to have a battery that's efficient for weeks or months so that you can help power the places that need electricity the most. And like, we're so far away from that. Rogan, so. Rogan was actually just talking to uh, on a podcast with Shane Gillis, just talking about uh, how difficult a Tesla is in a cold climate. It like drains your battery, drains your battery like crazy. So like, there are all these issues with it. And I think uh, I, I bring this story up. I probably brought it up with you before, but like, it's an interesting like eye opener for me is that I was in a get, got my master's in business from Rutgers and we had to take like a, this is like shortly after a bunch of people who don't have to pay now don't have to pay the 1.5 credits to take this bullshit business ethics course. So I'm like sitting in Jersey city. This is how I always tell the story. I'm sitting in Jersey city across the river from the people who fucked everybody. Right. Like the people who subprime or whatever, uh, the, the futures and the, whatever, all that, all that, uh, uh, accountant, uh, wall street speak. And we're taking like a business ethics course. And they're like, one of the things about the future of business is like business is kind of icky now, you know? So like you want to have like a cause you're doing it for. And like, that's the end. The end result is the ESG, the environmental social governance score that people are working towards on a global scale. The WEF talks about it a lot. Like those are the mm -hmm. kinds of people that are going to be in charge of determining your social credit score as a business, which is your ESG. And so essentially all of this stuff, all the way down to like electric cars, like a lot of it's built on this, this idea that you're doing this great thing, like that you're such a, you're such a, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a virtuous thing or your business is doing a virtuous thing. And so frequently, just like with COVID and we're finding out with electric cars, it's just not true. You know, no, for sure. I think these are taking advantage of the lowest rung of their, of their, I, this thoughts come across a lot the last few years is that we still have slavery in this country. We just have it somewhere else and we pretend it doesn't exist. And like, that's why when people think that you're like, that I'm like a, or you are like right wing crazy nut shops. Like we're like, we're like Occupy Wall Street. Like that's the thing about Occupy Wall Street and, and Tea Party is that we've kind of found out, you've probably come to the same realization too with some of the memes that'll come across is that like shortly after Occupy Wall Street, is when all of these companies started uh, doing the woke stuff because mm -hmm. like they broke everyone up into their own little groups rather than we are the 99% versus the 1% or like uh, tea party was like, we're grassroots versus the establishment. So it's like, we've got all of these, um, you know, companies that have been just basically dividing up the marketplace with all the woke ideas and um, kind of just distracting us from the fact that, you know, they're up to no good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Not to change the subject, but I, I was going to bring this up earlier and I'm so fascinated by it. So I was flipping through um, Netflix the other night and I came across a documentary called Running with the Devil. It's about John McAfee. Did you happen to watch it? No, I'd love, I I, I will now. Dude, I, I cannot re recommend this documentary enough to anybody who 
definitely if you're into conspiracies, because the whole thing is kind of centered around multiple different conspiracies. If you're not familiar, like McAfee being the guy that invented the antivirus, right? So sells his business to Intel for like seven, maybe $14 billion. The guy was a hundred millionaire, right? And super intelligent, but I guess, and, and this is something I didn't know, he was kind of a wild dude early on. And then he got himself straight and narrow, has all the success. But after he sells his business, he kind of starts becoming like a little strange, right? Like um, in a good way at first, like teaching yoga and having like these really kind of uh, untraditional viewpoints on life and conspiracy moves to Belize. Um, yeah. And then gets accused of murdering his neighbor. Because his yeah. neighbor supposedly poisoned his dogs and he denies it, but he goes on the run. And during this time, yeah. he, well, dude, he hired a documentary film crew that's following him as he's running from both. He's claiming the cartel, the Sinaloa cartel is is chasing after him to kill him. He also is claiming that the Belize uh, government is coming after him as well as the United States government. And so they would... He's like on the phone booking transportation with like rebel forces in these random countries. They're taking him on a boat across water to uh, get him from Belize to um, where the fuck was he even going? I don't even know. Then he's like flying on jets over to Spain all while these people are with him and you're watching him just get further and further into the psychosis. And he's like downing bottles of fucking whiskey and doing all kinds of crazy drugs and shit. And like, gets stopped by the police in all these different countries every time he's coming in because he has guns. And the documentary film crew at one point in time is almost like questioning if they're actually being chased by anybody or if it's in his own imagination and that he's just so crazy that he'll like go to this new location. And then when he gets there, he's like, no, I just got a phone call. We have to leave. People are on our tail. And so they'd like pack up their shit again and like fucking dip. But it all, you know, like ultimately what happens, right? Like he dies in jail after he's arrested in Spain to be extradited back to the U.S. And they find him dead. But he had gotten that tattoo on his arm that said schwacked and then posted a bunch of stuff that said, if I end up dead in prison, I didn't kill myself. And so I'd, I'll, I'll, I won't spoil it, but there's like the last clip on the documentary kind of lead you to believe that like maybe he's actually still alive and yeah I, I, yeah, I follow i'm that. sure there's some of it is like you know they're taking artistic pleasure and leading you on it's a documentary but i mean they also do paint a picture throughout the whole filming that's like maybe there is something to that maybe i mean you see him setting all this stuff up he definitely would be the type of person to like fake his death in prison buy his self freedom I guess the only thing for me is I can't imagine he would stay quiet afterwards. If you did that, like you would go to some country. I mean, but maybe it's, it's maybe he has to, right? Like maybe he really is getting chased. Maybe he, I, I don't know, but like he, he, he's fun, dude. He died yeah, like one, right? Like he's, he was like, uh, wasn't he saying that he was Q at one point too? Wasn't he like, I'm Q. Uh, he may have, I know he ran for president. Right. So it's like, he, he, was he was on the run. He ended up getting arrested in Belize, but he was dating this girl whose uncle was the former 
uh, attorney general and he helps them get out of jail for not having like passports. And it's like, I was blown away, dude. Like I was expecting it to be a good documentary. I saw him speak and I, I like matched it up to the timeline of the documentary because after he was wanted for murdering his neighbor in Belize, he somehow came back to America and he made a bunch of money speaking at different events. And I was at the time in working in technology and I saw him at an event in Las I believe it was Vegas. He was speaking um, about technology and information security. Um, and so I remember being like, shit, this guy was like wanted, but he was back in America somehow. Well, he was promoting a bunch of crypto companies and a bunch of other like trading and investment firms. And I guess he never paid taxes. He, he supposedly earned like $25 million and didn't pay taxes. So then the U S came after him for tax evasion. And Dude. that's when he dipped a, a second time. Speaking of, speaking of, speaking of crypto and yeah. people. Oh shit. Yes. And freed gets arrested clearly has like him and his whatever that girl is girlfriend part of the uh, group sex that they're having uh at in this million dollar whatever uh loft that they have flat that they have whatever you call it sam bankman freed's clearly robbing people and then he's like speaking on a new york times panel at the end of the month and it's like clearly all of this is like he's well connected. His mom's a big DNC donor. He's the second biggest donor behind George Soros. Again, back to like rigging elections, right? The two biggest donors to the Democratic Party, right? Like, and this is how Eddie puts it and how I see it too, is that like almost all the politicians are demons, but like all the Democrats are on team demon. There's like a couple Republicans that you're like, all right, Rand Paul, he says some good shit. Or like uh, Josh Hawley or like uh, Ron DeSantis or whatever. Like he, he like the top two donors are George Soros and this guy. Like it's like it's it's crazy how overtly obvious like the corruption is. Like I, I, I saw a Car Carrie Lake video this morning and it's like the evidence that she has about the fraud in uh, the election in Arizona is there's no chain of custody on like 600,000 ballots. It took a week to count the ballots. Like I it's can't like believe we don't have a better like the fact that no like that the two sides can't agree on the fact that there's a better way to track a voting to me just says all you need to hear for everybody. Like why yeah. are why is it so hard for us to do that? Like I we bank online I Right. Like I log into an account, my money's on there. And and by the way, that scares me just when you see all this that, that can happen. But there's got to be a better way to elect the people who are representing us at a time where if if we can't agree on anything else, it's that we need to have really good people in place to help us lead ourselves through what is right now a really challenging time, both domestically and internationally. We should, as a whole, want the best people, not the best uh, actor or, you know, front man so that they can go out there and parade around for your social causes. We need operators right now. We need yeah. real operators for both sides. And l listen, like I 
I truly, truly believe as a, like myself as not being aligned with any party. I may have views that in some way, shape or form, maybe overlap with one more than the other, but I'm, I'm, I think there's a lot of things that like traditionally would be democratic and very liberal. Like, like that, I'm, we're here talking about slavery in, in uh, I thought that was supposed to be the Democrats was like, Hey, like, we can't be using slave labor to make our cars, to make our clothes, to make our, like, I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm on the outside looking in. I, I think I've talked to you about this watching Tommy boy and, and the guy, the evil guy in the movie is the guy who's shipping all the jobs overseas to cheap labor. Yeah. Like he's yeah. now it's like, that's just like the cost of doing business. Now we're just like, Oh, this is just the way it is, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, the system's obviously broken, right? But like the idea that we can't, like the idea behind Trump winning is that the system was so confident, right? Like the New York Times said that Hillary Clinton had a 99% chance of beating Donald Trump. The system was so confident that they didn't put the barriers, the proper barriers in place to beat Trump, right? Like because he got so many more votes than they thought. Like that's the theory behind it, right? He got so many more votes than they thought he'd get, and he some in, in these certain places, right? And then he ended up beat because he didn't. didn't have more votes than Hillary, but he had more votes in the right spots, right? And so they couldn't figure out a way to rig the election that time. So it just got like very obvious the last time, like, oh, we're gonna do mail-in ballots and Biden who you, gets. Like- who do you think the Democrats take out there to compete against Trump or whoever ends up getting the <laughs> Republican? Because they're clearly pushing Biden out now, right? It's like, like, okay, you're seeing that too, right? It's it's interesting the shift all of a sudden. Like, I think the documents were a, were an intentional, obvious leak to make yeah. him look bad. Because now we're getting to that point where it's like, okay, we've got to start positioning who that next person is. Yeah. But before you do that, you gotta move him yeah. out of the way. Yeah. And you you have to be careful because you've you've sat there and gaslit everybody for the last three years or two and a half years that he's competent and sane. Yeah. Like politics aside, 100% politics aside, if that guy was related to me, I would be telling his kids or if he was my dad, like, hey, dude, you know, you need to fucking chill out. You don't need to be working the the door at Walmart, let alone running the country. Like, yeah. just stop. You're not yeah, well. Like, you're, you're, you're Yeah, chill. like you're not well. And so I see all of this shit happening. In, and in my mind, it does seem very deliberate. But I, I'm so unplugged, like, as I, I mean, yeah. dude, I've been off social media. So I, I will be, I will be honest, like, I'm ignorant to the fact of beyond that, like, who would it even be? I'm, I'm pretty unplugged to it now, too, where it's like, it's obvious. It's good. We, we like all like the kind of like shit we needed to watch and like research and like, it's like, it's all like, like this situation. I don't really need to look into this situation very long to figure out, oh, they're pushing him out. Right. Because they can't say that he's incompetent. Right. Mm-hmm. So now they've found another way, which is, all right, these documents were there and we're not going to talk about the fact that Hunter was living at the house. We're just going to talk specifically about Joe and about these documents and then they'll push him out of the way and someone else will come in. Uh, it's just. They they don't have anyone on their bench either, though, like they were hoping that Buttigieg, Buttigieg as I call him, Budges. Peter Butges, fucking uh, the transportation secretary. Like they try to anoint these guys that they think they can make superstars. Like they made Obama a superstar. Kamala Harris. 
Yeah, like Obama never accomplished anything. He was like an adjunct professor. He voted president when he was in the Senate, like repeatedly. He won his first election by threatening to leak the other guy's divorce records, right? So that's how he won his election, uh, his first election, was that kind of shit, right? Um, And like Buttigieg is the same thing. He's like, again, like Kamala, like he's in place. He got chosen because he's gay and because he'll fit that mold for them. Kamala got chosen because she because literally Biden said, I'm going to hire a minority. He's like, I'm just going to hire a minority. It doesn't matter which one. Just give me one of them. Pick one out of a line. I'll take them. Um, and so Kamala which to was me like, is such a setback for people of color and minorities because you're you're setting the bar at such a low standard for people who have like, there are plenty of people of color and minorities that could be capable for that job. And to like do it because like, why would you say I'm going to choose this person because they're black? You, but now you just, you're like, that's disrespectful thing to do. Like to say it out loud. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's, because you're also putting it on you where you're like, look at me, I'm going to help out. Like (laughs) clip this one out. Joe Biden was just there. Like, I'm going to help out the blacks. Like he's like 80 years old. He's like, I'm going to help out the blacks today. Like, it's like, it's like a, a very racist, like image that you could put in your head of him. Like, so like some 80 year old white guy, like, ah, who do we got to pick? Uh, you know, he's like, he used to say about Obama, he said about Obama, he was like the first articulate black guy we ever had. Yeah. Like, it's something Dude, like that. You can't, you can't make the shit up. I mean, it is, it is like the perfect time for comedy. Like you, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that's making these things shift too, is like, it's so dumb. And yeah. like, I mean, Alex Stranger, he trains with us. Uh, he's doing all this uh, culture jamming stuff now. You know, he just goes to these, uh, he goes to I, the round. I die. Dude, between him and Primetime Stein, I can't get enough of watching their videos where they just go and start throwing a fit. He's like, Alex is hysterical. And I'm, I've am i had him on before. Yeah. Interesting cat, but da- like, it was before he started doing some of these social experiments where he would show up, like just... I love when he gets there and he's like all sporadic and seems like he's nervous and can't read. Cause like it, he's, if you know him, like, right. He's, he's a very intelligent guy and he's, he plays the part so good. And these people don't know what to do. They're so caught off guard. He, uh, it's also, you know, it's embarrassing for them because he's making fun of them to their faces. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, uh, because they all have the same opinions, especially when you go to the Austin like stuff, you know? And he's like, He's like dressed like a woman and all that. Like this stuff needs to be mocked too, because it's like, it's so dangerous. It's so gross that, you know, they're more, they're uh, Jamie's kids, right? They go to Austin ISD. Cause that's the school district we, we were locked into at first. Um, and that's where they're going to stay. But, and we also can't take them homeschool cause their dad. And, you know, we got to work that out kind of thing. And, I would love to have them at the gym all day, right? But it's, we got them at Austin ISD. It's, it's not. It doesn't matter where they are either, right? Wherever you go, they're still in public school. Yep. So whatever public school you're at now, there's a rainbow flag here and a trans flag over there. The the teachers get rainbow flags and trans flags and black like they get like propaganda flags, but they don't get Texas flags. They don't get U.S. flags. Like it's and like to have the like the. Uh, 
sorry, the, the quote unquote, like the, the gay agenda kind of thing, the LGBTQ plus stuff and the pluses for groomers and pedophiles. That's what the plus and LGBTQ plus stands for. Actually, uh, that's what I've learned the last couple of years, because you shouldn't be talking to elementary school kids about their pronouns. You shouldn't be like, it's very odd and it's everywhere. So it's like, it's super important for somebody to do it in a fun way because having this conversation doesn't get as far with some people. Like it, it, you need to make this crazy mockery of it, of like a guy, like yeah, I did saw you see the guy. Movie. Did you see the dude with like the gi- overly gigantic? That boots? was a of joke too. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was, I was like thinking it had to be, but he was playing it like, and what was being leaked to the media, it was hard to tell. Right. But I, I think I heard that that was in fact satire and that he was, if you don't know, like this guy had these fake inflatable boobs that were like enormous. And then he had, I don't know what he did, but he had like giant nipples and he was a shop teacher and he was showing up to school in Canada, I believe dressed like this and basically saying like, Hey, I identify as this now. And they, completely like bowed to him and and when people were like throwing a fit they were protecting him and here the whole time he was playing a joke to show just how crazy things can get and still get support from the school district i mean it's it's and so that's the point right now is that like they've and that's what we found out in the uh candace owens black lives matter documentary is that blm got all this money and then they sent it to transgender groups so like they took one propaganda push and they took the money from that and then put it into something that literally like has nothing to do with black lives at all. They pushed it into transgender groups and all this like gender bender stuff, which is like, there are some people out there like that are unfortunately like they're in a tough, like they're in a tough spot where they believe this, that they're not in the right body or whatever. But dude, let me tell you a story about that. We had, this is something I haven't talked to you about. We had this person come through who was a, a, a boy who thought he was a girl, a veteran, um, you know, and this person, this person came through the gym for like a month and they were like in Austin and they were like, clearly like the first or second day they're coming up to our coaches and like being like, yeah, like I want to do combat jujitsu and like telling you like, as that, a like, female, yeah. Implying that they like want to do it as a female. So like they're being provocative to like come into a fight, the fight world, because they, they already competed as a, as a, a woman uh, for Naga and for like someone else. Right. So they already got some affirmation there. And this person um, like is going up to our coaches, basically saying, I want to hit women. Right. Which like, we kick people out of the gym when we find out they hate women. Right. Like, so it's like, you want to do it for us and comp. you want to wear our flag. Like you want to wear, so what you're implying is you're going to wear our rash guards and you're going to go out there and you're going to beat up women. Like that's what you, that's your long-term goal here. Right. And so they were ho- heavily provocative. I talked to Mo at ADCC. This person was trying to do the ADCC open and they um, were told no. And then they were like, okay, I guess so. And then they went on a podcast a couple of days after ADCC and we're talking shit about the ADCC Open, trying to make a name for themselves. They talked shit about our gym at one point. And, like, it, this, 
it's it's weird because it opens this door that what they've done is they've opened like this weird door where like people who are in a difficult spot like men- mental like with their mentals just mentally unwell now have this weird power and this weird entitlement around like how they think they're supposed to be treated and what they think is supposed to be done right and like it creates a really dangerous scenario where like and then lo and behold, we found out that this person is currently, you know, down the line is, is in trouble with the law, like for like real things for like real, real things. And like, as a business, you're like, you know, being trying to, to do the right thing and put your best foot forward in a way that, uh, you know, we don't let like with someone like is mentally unwell, like to a point where they're a threat to themselves and others, like you've got to remove them from the gym. But it created it can create a scenario where like you don't have a good option because this person at the same time is trying to look for you doing the wrong thing. And like you already know that they're not acting in good faith. And like you're it just creates this crazy scenario that we had to kind of kind of handle at one point. Um I'll be I did want to ask you because I know we're both probably looking to watch the fights. Um how so tell me a little bit more about this process with the book. So you fly out to LA, like how much time in, like, are you spending chunks of time with Eddie? Just like asking him a bunch of questions. Like where did those questions come from when you're trying to get a perspective from somebody else, but also write it from your point of view and James's point of view, how do you identify what it is you even know, or are you just going in there and having conversation and trying to suck as much information as you can and then go back through that on your own and pull the things out that make the most amount of sense to construct the book. I have like 20 to 25 hours worth of audio or maybe even 20 to 30 that my, uh, my lawyer friend who's also Eddie's lawyer and Curtis's lawyer. It's great. I found him from my book deal getting canceled and him making sure that I got all the money out of it. My, my last book, um, he has a transcription service. And so he got it all transcribed and then I had it all printed. And then I'd look through and I'd remember what I recalled and I'd highlight all that. But uh, I came there having a general idea of what I was going to say in terms of like the major moments of his life and the conversations that I was already having with James and with Eddie of like, you know, all right. So, and then once I flew in, I was, I guess it was during that time that I realized, Oh, I can write this through the prism of this trip because I'm, both going to try and talk about the past. James is going to be the main vehicle for me talking about the past. I can be the main vehicle for talking about the present and who Eddie is now, because that's what makes it more interesting is that everyone who mo- most of the people reading this are kind of going to have an idea who Eddie is. Mm-hmm. And so if you know who Eddie is, what would you be interested in? You'd be interested in what it's like to go train with him, what it's like to listen to him stay up till uh, one o'clock in the 12 o'clock at night. Um, listening to him have a jam session 12 staying till 12 30 smoking with him and the guys uh you know his just hanging out with the small group of people the 15 anyone can go train with eddie bravo but it's still only 15 to 20 people 25 30 there at 8 45 for a competition class and that 8 45 class runs till 10 30 it's a crazy fucking window right we have the warm-ups then we do drilling and then we have five eight minute rounds it's a crazy you know, I'm hoping we can figure out a way to maybe start to structure some of what we do a little bit more like that. Maybe not, probably not as late at night, but also, uh, 
you know, it's it's a very single man's kind of thing. Eddie Eddie tucks his uh, his son in before he heads out, you know, kind of thing. And um, you know, it's a good training. And and what are you going to be interested in if if you're if you're a fan of Eddie Bravo is is you're going to be interested in the current state. Like this was January twenty twenty uh, twenty twenty two. So you're going to be you know that story of COVID and and being Eddie through that time is an interesting story as a gym owner alone. But then he's also Eddie Bravo, and so it's like watching Eddie shift from who we know him as on the podcast to who he was on the podcast the last time he went on. Um, the last time he went on, as you could see, Eddie was just sitting there. Joe's talking. Eddie's sitting back like this. Eddie's asking more questions. You know, he's kind of being more like you know, less, less like fired up about it. He's like, he, his attitude now is like, if you, if you haven't been convinced of what I'm talking about now, you're never going to be convinced. And what's the point of us arguing, which has had a big impact on me too, because I, you know, during COVID you want to argue with everybody, right? Yeah. You're like, dude, you see someone post something in a, like uh, about their perspective on the other side. And you're like, dude, shut the fuck up, man. We've been training jujitsu the entire time. You can stay home. I want to go to the fucking grocery store without a mask on. I want to go out to dinner, but you can stay home. Like, you know, but again, like Eddie's Eddie used to be all fired up trying to convince everyone of what he believed, but the general premise of what he believes has been proven true over this last two years, right? The general premise is there. So I wanted to tell some of that. I wanted to give that perspective of what it's like to hang out with Eddie and, and then what, what, bringing him caring. I knew that there was going to be the music aspect that was mostly going to be covered by James and then carrying that through and then getting into the jujitsu, the jujitsu. Now, mind you getting the jujitsu part of, out of him is sometimes the hardest part, right? He like, he's very, he downplays, you know, he'll tell you when you're, uh, you know, he, he'll joke about it on podcasts. Like, you know, I don't know how to fight. I'm a pussy, you know, that kind of thing. Like, He's like, I'm the big, I don't want to fight anybody. I'm, I'm the biggest pussy I know, you know, like he has that kind of attitude. Not, not, I don't know how to fight. He's more like, I don't want to fight. I'm a, you know, I'm a, you know, that kind of playful uh, self-deprecation that he has. And so, um, you know, getting, giving the reader that experience with Eddie is part of it too. Right. And so I go in, I come in on that Thursday night, uh, I immediately go train and chapter one is kind of giving you that intro of, of us getting there and going to train. Me and Michael Plaster fly into town and, and Michael Plaster is his main documentarian. And so he's a, really been an asset for me too. And, um, you know, Plaster's there, we train, we hang out, we smoke, Eddie's playing music and it's just his, the current stuff he's releasing right now, which is like as he puts it weird Al Yankovic stuff, but it's like funny songs about COVID. Like he has one um, that's like, we are one nation mandatory vaccinations. Uh, it's like, we love old people. Just sit your ass in isolation. You know, it's like these funny, like um, he's like, he, he's like, uh, it's not a heart attack. It's just a little inflammation. Like it's funny stuff, man. So He's jamming out. He's a good musician, obviously, right? He's been doing it forever. And he's got a good group there. And then I'll hang out with him that night. And then I go hang out with James. And then the next day I see a friend of mine. And I use me seeing that friend to talk about the importance of training partners. Because the friend that I saw was my high school and college football training partner. So the guy I would always lift with. So I use that in my experience with him 
to discuss the importance of James to Eddie, James being that person who showed up when Eddie was just trying to make music with a bunch of unserious friends. Mm. And then James was the person that allowed him to the freedom and the ability to pursue something. Right. So, um, you know, I talk about the training uh, partners and I dump it, I jump into Laurel Canyon. And while I'm talking about Laurel Canyon is when all the people, Laurel Canyon musicians are trying to get Joe Rogan kicked off Spotify. Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and all this stuff. And I talk about it gives me a vehicle to talk about Lookout Mountain. And then I talk about some of the I talk about Walt Disney being an FBI uh, asset. Uh, and I talk about uh, fucking Disney the day after Pearl Harbor. Disney gets this cra- The Navy takes over Disney Studios and they get this crazy deal to make three times the amount of film than they made in the previous year three times the amount of film in like the next three months or something silly. Right. So like, you know, Disney's the, one of the biggest corporate media outlets includes ESPN includes ABC includes all these people. They're one of the biggest corporate media outlets in the country. And at the time that they got taken over by the military and got this huge contract, they essentially uh, were about to go under because Walt Disney had this habit of taking everything he made on one thing and then dumping all of it into the next project. And so Pinocchio was a bust because uh, the uh, when it came out, Europe was already at war. So a lot of these film, a lot of these theaters aren't open, right? Just like COVID, right? Like yep. a lot of places aren't open. Um, Fantasia is a bust at the box office. It's because people didn't get it. Fantasia is actually like a very interesting uh kind of kind of project that he had and and it was i guess at the time too i think he was really just showing off what you could do with animation um but yeah so he's losing money he basically gets take over, taken over by the media of the military and now it's the biggest media company in the world and he was an fbi agent starting asset starting in 1940 so like i cover that kind of story like we do the interview um with eddie and james on that sunday i come in on thursday we do it on sunday and um the house we do it at is Danny Loner's from Nine Inch Nails. So I, I talk about some of that. Danny is super terrified of like getting James sick because James had cancer. And so Danny and Eddie's busting his balls and Danny's freaking out about the fact that he knows three people who died of COVID and Eddie's yelling back, laughing back at him like, it's the flu, dog. It's the flu. And so then Eddie sits down and Eddie talks for like five straight hours, man. He talks for and he doesn't have a water. He doesn't have anything. He just sits there and talks for five hours. We get it all on, on, on recording to transcribe. It's like nothing you've ever seen. He doesn't take a sip of anything the entire time. I just figured there would be water there. I, bu- I brought some soda <laughs> games. I figured there'd be water there. Eddie's just talking the whole time. And, you know, there's this moment I have with James. I go up to warm up James. Uh, not with James. I have it with Danny. I go up to warm up James's Frappuccino in the microwave. And Danny's at the top of the stairs with like tears in his eyes. And he's like, Hey man, I just really, I really don't want to get James sick. Like he's like super concerned. And like, you know, as they put in the book too, in that moment, like you see that goodwill that was taken advantage of, like Danny's a good guy. He's a nice person. He wants to do well and he's super paranoid and you just see that come out in him. Right. And so I get to tell like this whole story and then I have my experiences in LA and stuff like that. And then, so, 
Um, the next day I wake up, I talk about some of my philosophy and how that ties into Eddie. And, you know, I kind of use, use some of my experiences to explain Eddie's philosophy and what he created generally. Yeah. And then we talk about his early training with Jean-Jacques and my voice. And then we, uh, you know, we move back and forth and, um, I train with Eddie again, but then I met with him again. He came to Austin in April. Uh, yeah, April, late April. So I got, a. We, he was actually playing a, playing a show with Sam Tripoli two hours outside of the city. And so I went and picked him up and we had, you know, two and a half hours in the car, got that transcribed. And then I went back out to LA in, in June and then spent a little bit more time with him there, getting some of the jujitsu stuff and the later music stuff after, um, after James was done. And so I, I was, I kind of had like a little bit of a writer's block in May. Like I almost didn't write for the whole month of May. I wrote basically 80,000 words between March, mid-March and mid-July. And I finished the book, like the first draft of the book. I finished it and sent it in at 12, 15 a.m. The, the like 15 minutes after it was due, which I got it in on time, obviously. They were asleep. Uh, but generally speaking, like 15 minutes after it was due, right? And and got in it on time. But I there was this chunk there this month where like I couldn't figure out what to write next because I needed to go get more of the story. So then I go out and I get it and I just sit with Eddie and I get him talking about the timeline of his music. And the music is really the vehicle for the whole story because mm -hmm. I'm telling you about jujitsu through also talking about music. What's the most important thing about jujitsu learning how to show up every day. You know, Eddie learned how to do that and how to be consistent in all these years. He was trying to make it in the music industry where he's still, no matter what was going on while he was working a bunch of these like jobs that you work with in your twenties, to try and figure out your way. Um, him and James were still showing up three times a week, doing the work, you know, doing that. And there are these things that I'm, I'm able to talk about uh, through the music that, that really just kind of flavored the whole thing and then just brought us into jujitsu and uh, kind of closed the book out that way. And I also got to kind of uh, pay homage to, to like what we're doing here in Austin, right? Like mm -hmm. in the first chapter, I, I mentioned that, you know, Eddie's, Eddie Bravo Invitational, everything just flowed supernaturally because it then allowed me to lead into like a conversation about Danaher's team and, and the opportunity that I, I've had to get to meet John and get to know John and get to know Gary Tonin and um, his training partners, you know, and, and everyone uh, that's come by through that. Um, Austin's become the spot. And then on Sundays, the B team guys are at our gym all the time. So it's like, it's a really surreal experience to be in a place, be somewhere at the right time. And then like LA, LA is kind of a character in the book, right? Like, you know, you're thinking about James moving from Arkansas to LA. Why did he do that? Eddie being from LA, what is that like? What is, you know, I'm, I'm telling you about my experience going to hike um, on the coasts and talking, using that as an opportunity to talk about some things and then going to Laurel Canyon, using that as an opportunity, talking about them going to West Hollywood and the importance of all that. LA is a bit of a character too in the story and Austin right now I tell people Austin feels like LA must have felt like in the 1960s and 70s where it's like this place where the future of culture is being created whether it's martial arts is this thing that's really just like taken off mm -hmm. um, in a major way especially now that it's on ESPN um, and people are as we saw the last few years like these pro sports matter a little bit less when you find out that all the athletes are going to go along with something you like really disagree with. So you're like, you've kind of moved on to like another sport and you're like, 
And so that's going in one direction. You got comedy here. You have technology here. Um, this place was open during COVID. Like it's, it's a, it's the future's here and, and being with being in this jujitsu thing and, and in a sport that's on its way up too is uh, to get to be a part of an artist community. Cause it is that um, it's, it's pretty cool. So to not write about that would have been to not take advantage of the story that I'm able to tell through my, through mine and through Eddie's. Dude, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'll tell you right now, like hearing you tell me about what was coming and like just knowing how life is and that shit can get thrown in different directions yeah. and like can stop. And then to see Eddie give you some props on Rogan's yeah. podcast that like as a friend, like I, I couldn't have been more excited. I was like, damn, like that's so excited for him. And I can't be more excited to to read it and hopefully listen to it as well. So you really get an idea of how big Rogan's reach is when your name's mentioned on the podcast, because it's like for the next week, like everyone's telling me for the next few days, it was hard, dude. Um, he, so that podcast comes out like um, on like September 5th. So like the next few days, everyone's uh you know like dude i heard about you on rogan i heard about you on rogan my grandma unfortunately unexpectedly passed uh like a few days later and so uh so that kind of killed my high but um but yeah like i i had this a couple days where it's everyone i i go across the street to on it because we're not at on it gym anymore but i go across the street and everyone there is listening to it um people are texting you and and all that kind of stuff so it's a pretty the reach that he has is monumental. It's amazing. And it's, it's the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing out there, man. I mean, what is the example these guys are leaving behind for us to follow is, uh, is, uh, tell the truth, do the right thing. Um, over a long enough time span, um, it's going to win. We're going to win. You know, it's just, uh, for a while there, it was like, fuck. It was little, just really got a little dicey, didn't it? Got a little dicey, man, but we got out of it. We got some fights to watch, Jake. Or Jake. Jake. Zach. Uh, brother, is your brother Jake? Yeah, he is. It's uh Is he in town with you? Is he staying with you? He's not. Oh, no, no. No. He um my brother's in, he's down in like the North Shore area. So he yeah. got a he got a long term Airbnb. Nice. Yeah. But well, yeah, let's go watch these fights. Uh thanks to everyone who listened. Again, uh you can find uh the book on Amazon. Welcome back to the podcast first episode back for the curious jones podcast uh you can find that wherever podcasts are listened to uh you can find me on instagram at zach moore 10 p zach's with a k 10 is with the number 10 you can't find me on twitter yet because uh it's not i'm not that high on elon's to-do list in terms of getting me back on twitter uh, but <laughs> i was banned multiple times for the uh for the crime of saying that natural immunity was a real thing. So just think about that, guys. That was, that was, uh, so at the direction of the White House, apparently, because they were telling everybody to stop saying that to every social media site to shut people down who were saying natural immunity was a real thing because they needed to kill more people with the vaccine. <laughs> I love how we end these. <laughs> y'all be, uh, y'all, th thank you for having me on, Justin. Always, buddy. We'll talk. Right. I'll be in Later. touch. See ya.